This is Ryan in Oceanside, and I definitely don't listen to I Doubt It with Dalimore because I'm too damn busy celebrating the 243rd birthday of our beloved United States Marine Corps. Oorah! The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Everybody, welcome to the big, big show, episode 464 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined today by the other host of the program, Brittany Page. We're getting dangerously close to episode 500. Oh, yeah, we are. Pretty crazy. What are we going to do? We have to figure that out. I remember when we got to 100, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, we should do something. And then we, I don't fucking think we did anything. I don't even remember getting to 100. <laughs> it happened. I know it happened. It did happen. I don't remember it happening. I don't remember. The... It seems to me every 100, 200, 300, 400, yeah. there was talk of doing something. Yeah. And then really, we just never did. We got to do something <laughs> for 500, though. Does that mean we're lazy? We're not creative? We're just turds? Well, early on, mm-hmm. er, early on, we we always talked about doing like a best of episode. Yeah. But we can't. There's no fucking way to do a best of episode. Yeah. One, because. That's a lot of work. It's a two person operation. Yeah. Over here. Yeah, and the other thing is, is I don't log, like we do so many episodes, it's not like I'm like, oh yeah, remember that one bit we did? That was real funny. I just, we don't prepare, it's not like we we sit down and think about, talk about, plan, we, we plan the topics, but yeah. what happens, happens, yeah. you know what I mean? So Yeah, that so, is correct. So if anybody has any suggestions, that might be nice. For sure, yeah. In in between, you know, your your preparation for the holidays, you know, it is Thanksgiving and Christmas coming right up. Yes, it all is. All the stress with family. In between all that, yeah. if you could plan our shows for us, that would be <laughs> fantastic. It really would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, you're right. Thanksgiving is coming up. It's actually next week. I keep feeling like it's this week for some reason. Oh, I keep thinking it's like three weeks away. Yeah, I, I can't to... believe we're in the middle of the goddamn month already. It's pretty crazy. I, I have to snap myself out of it because I think that, you know, soon I will be stuffing my face with delicious stuffing and mashed potatoes. But that is... I do make a mean Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, you do. But that is... I must say. Yes, that is actually next week. Thanksgiving is next week. And I thought we we could talk about some Pew Research... It's 11 days away. Yeah, 11 days. Yeah. I thought we could talk about some Pew Research on... The I kept trying to prompt you the Pew yeah, Research. Let me say pew, it again. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. We are professionals. What 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 is it? What kind of research? It is Pew. Pew 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 Pew. Exactly. Um, because the holidays are coming up, and we thought we would talk about some new data that Pew Research has on how it's stressful for people to discuss politics oh. with people that they disagree with. Yeah. And when are you typically around people that you're close to, that you disagree with politically, that you're kind of thrown into these situations where it might come up and you have to navigate what to do? The holidays. Yeah, That's when sure. that happens. Thanksgiving. Well, you don't have to really plan for it. If it's someone you're always around, you've, you've already come to the conclusion We either talk about it or we don't. Yeah, but some people, I think, aren't around their family members a lot. And and then they do see them on the holidays and it's kind of difficult. Like, if if we disagree politically, is this going to come up? Is something going to be on TV? Is someone going to say something? Especially if the booze starts flowing a little bit. You know, you got that. You got that Uncle Gary, Uncle Charlie. Who it's instant asshole just at alcohol kind of a situation. Yeah. Well, and I and think he's invariably a fucking Trump guy. Yeah. I think we want everybody has a has an uncle like this. <laughs> Donald Trump, baby. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that we for sure want to give people an opportunity to call in and talk about their own experiences um, on the holidays or being around sure. family that they may not agree with politically and how they navigate those yeah. conversations. Strategies. Yeah, kind of share with the other listeners and give people an opportunity to talk about that here. I think our our audience is unique in that way. Every time we've had someone call in, whether it be Heather from Arkansas talking about her family on the California trip mm-hmm. or others who have called in in the past that mm-hmm. seeking advice on how do you how do you navigate that territory because it's a landmine it's an obstacle course and our audience is uniquely suited and willing to come to the table with some solutions so that's that would be great. Well, and according well, yeah, go ahead. According to this survey from Pew uh, over September twenty fourth to <laughs> October seventh, people who are anxious about spending time with their family members who they may not agree with politically, they're not alone. So Americans have become more likely to say over the past two years that it is stressful and frustrating to have political conversations with those they disagree with. Mm. And it, this change is largely from Democrats, actually, with 57 percent saying that it is stressful to talk about politics with people they disagree with. Mm. And that's up from 40 five percent two years ago so there's been Getting an, worse yeah it's, there's been an increase and republicans their feelings haven't really changed yeah, because the their minds don't change ever <laughs> even with facts and data so that's uh, a generalization <laughs> but you know it's generally fucking true well two years ago uh 48 percent of republicans said that it was stressful and frustrating and this year 49 percent. so really not a big change not a big change well listen of Republicans are over the fucking moon with Donald Trump. They love it. They're so satisfied. Mm -hmm. So that should tell you something. Yes. Well, um, I do. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. I do think it's interesting. And I I think you might be on to something, even though you were um, being a dick. Yes. Because there may be this this point of the conversation where a Democrat or a liberal is coming at a conservative or a Republican and saying, hey, these are the issues I have. I'm going to cite these statistics or I'm going to reference these like factual events. Yeah. And then it may just be discarded out of hand. Or like did how they just you, scream fucking fake news at you. Like how you see Sarah Huckabee Sanders do it yeah. or Kellyanne Conway. Maddening. Or any of the representatives for the president and, and basically how they handle criticisms as well. Um, the way that they reject them out of hand and are very manipulative about it. Of course, that's a generalization. We don't actually know. But what we do know is there's something more frustrating to the Democrats than to the Republicans yeah. in these conversations. Notice, it's it's one of those deals. We don't actually know. Hard wink, hard wink, nudge, nudge. We don't actually know. Elbow, elbow. We know. Well, Come on. This, this other piece was actually kind of sad to me. So the majority of Americans, 63%, said that when they actually discuss politics with people they disagree with, they find they have less in common politically than they previously thought. Hmm. So the majority of Americans are finding that when they try to engage... (laughs) They're just... They're on islands under themselves. Yeah, when they try to engage (laughs) and and try to find common ground, it actually makes things worse. They leave the conversation feeling as though... Wow, we have less in common than I thought. All this right. is worse than I thought. Major <laughs> announcement, everybody. Thanksgiving's fucking canceled. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't I don't think that's possible for a lot of people. So I'm left wondering after reading this what people think yeah. about their upcoming familial interactions with people that are different from them and if they have that experience where when they try to talk to someone on the opposing side they end up with that feeling of oh wow we we have nothing in common or we have less in common than i thought i also wonder if because things are so polarized that people who are democrats even find themselves really butting heads with one another Because these aren't just polarized times between parties. There's a lot of consternation within the parties, within similar ideologies that would push people apart, I think. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of recalcitrance. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. I I would hope that we can get to a point where we're able to disagree in a more productive way. Although, disagree more agreeably. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean agree to disagree. No. Yeah, it means really jumping in there and having these uh, difficult I conversations. Hate, I hate that saying. The agree to disagree. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> that just means we're going to stop talking is what that means. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're going to agree to disagree. It means I'm going to shut the fuck up and you're going to shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and we're going to walk away. Yeah, well, there was a really interesting <laughs> episode of The Daily where um, a white evangelical woman who lives in Texas was decided that she was going to vote for Beto. And um, she was previously a Trump person. I think she voted for Trump. And she ended up marrying a guy who did a lot of um, nonprofit work with refugees. And so she spent a lot of time with refugees, caring for refugees and kind of changed her perspective on how she viewed those vulnerable people as it would. Yeah. And they played on the daily, this conversation that she had with her father. And it was the most maddening thing (laughs) that I have ever listened to. In fact, I had to pause it twice (laughs) because it was... You're going to crash the car into a wall. It was really difficult for me. But I, when I finished listening to it, I actually thought, wow, this is really important. And I think it is great that they did engage because she had previously said, yeah, we don't really talk about it. Um, they were asking, did you tell your dad you're going to be in this article? Did he read the New York Times article? And she's like, well, I sent it to him, but I don't think he read it. I don't think he didn't say anything about me being in this New York Times article. Right, right. You know, um, but during the well, conversation. the failing New York Times, you know. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but during the conversation, they had they were hashing it out. Their disagreements yeah. about religion, their disagreements about Trump. And although no one changed their minds... You have to wonder if maybe he will question something next time because his daughter and he loves her said these things and maybe something will stick with him. You know, maybe he won't be as radical in his views. If no talk happens, nothing's going to change. At least there's a chance of something changing with the conversation. Yeah, and I maybe, and I don't know what you think about this, but is the problem going into it like I'm going to try to change minds right now? Or is it okay to just try to understand what the other person is thinking and kind of understand their point of view? Yeah, of course that's okay. Yeah. The problem, and I'm, I'm thinking about it from my, the only perspective I have, which is my own, mm-hmm. and I think I would go into it with a, I'm going to change their minds rather than... Yeah. We're just going to have a talk about views and if it doesn't go the way I'm not, you know, it's, 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 I'm not going to plan to win the war in this one single battle. You got to, it's incrementalism again, like we talked about last time. Yeah. You, you got to set yourself up for a possible win, not have that be your only option. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also wonder what people's experiences too, because I find that. Like if I'm if I'm reflecting on my most recent political arguments or debates that I've had, it hasn't really been someone trying to provide me alternative information or trying to tell me yeah. that I need to educate myself on this other area. It's typically me saying that. You know, yeah, and- because the other side isn't doesn't have the benefit of the facts on their side. They've got the the benefit of the propaganda. They've got the benefit of of uh, being very comfortable in their in their echo chamber, the Fox News echo chamber. Well, and I guess that's what I'm kind of getting at is I don't want to be so comfortable in my echo chamber yeah. that I'm missing some sort of information that could be provided to me to make my views more factually based. And so when I'm in those disagreements, that's kind of what I'm looking for, like something fact-based, something that's really concrete that I can go to and look to. Like I need more education. I need to brush up on something. We can all be better at that. Yeah. For sure. But I'm, I'm never provided that. So I'm still looking for it. I'm still looking for it. <laughs> right, and I'm, right. I'm trying my best to be open because that's what we like to do, especially on this show. Yes. Right? We're not always right. We don't always say the right thing or believe the right thing. But we, we do try to be open some of us more than others don't say the right thing or think the right thing (laughs) 
Are you talking about you? Of course I'm talking about me. Oh, okay. Anyway, we'd love to know any strategies you have for, you know, um, navigating this territory. Yeah. 657-464-7609. Of course, email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Speaking of those two things, Thanksgiving is coming up. Mm-hmm. We need, we're not like, oh, it would be great if you do it. You need to send in your Thanksgiving submissions for the things for which you're thankful this year and they're going to be included they're anonymous don't mention names you don't have to talk about how much you appreciate the show or that you're thankful for us any of that because we're not going to include that just dig a little deep think about what you're appreciative of this year what you're thankful for this year there's got to be something your family your kids the fact of of where you live um a circumstance that changed Something you came to grips with this year. A lesson you learned. Yeah, everybody has something. Um, don't be a victim of the bystander effect. Make sure that you don't assume, hey, other people are going to send one in. I don't need to. Yeah, if you're listening to us right now, we are talking to you. Yeah, you. <laughs> you. You better, your face they, should turn you, red you right you now. You in your car. You're called out. You with your headphones on. You right there. We are talking to you. Mm. Motherfucker. <laughs> Is that not how to do it? I mean... Will I not engender goodwill? I think that'll get it done. <laughs> anyway, send it in. Keep it at two, two and a half minutes. 657-464-7609. And more preferably would be to email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Let's go to a couple of pieces of listener communication. Let's start with an email. Hey guys, I was listening to a previous episode and heard the exit poll demographic result. It's amazing to me how there is only one that votes majority Republican, white males. Since this is the case, do Republicans ever reflect on why? That maybe there is something in their message that is repelling all other demographics which are growing in this country? Or have they decided that they can't win anyone else's vote anyway, so they've gone all in on consolidating the white vote, mainly male, by appealing to only that group? Just curious what you guys think. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Frank. Um... This is an interesting question. I always think I follow a guy who's a YouTube character and we're Facebook friends. We're not friends, but we are connected on Facebook. We'll say that. His name is Anthony Brian Logan. I think that's his name. And he is a black conservative and he is a kind of a conspiratorial nutter butter. If you're out there, Anthony, well, that's that's sorry, but that's the deal. <laughs> And I often think to myself, when I see him comment on Facebook or on Twitter, he'll say something outlandish and ridiculous, you know, in the spirit of something like Candace Owens would say, because he's part of that group that went to the White House and with, with the Charlie Kirk and all that. Mm -hmm. And then in the comments on Facebook, it'll be all fucking white dudes who agree with him. And one... I wouldn't suggest that you get caught up in, in finding cons uh, safe harbor in, in in the in the spirit of consensus. Oh, there's all these people who agree with me. I must be right. Um, but I always wonder if well, let's let's flip it. People who like like Megan Kelly or Tucker Carlson who claim to not be racist, um, and then in their comments, not so much Megan Kelly, but Tucker Carlson, um, who's the other one? Um Laura Ingram. Laura Ingram. And then all of the people who are responding are like virulent white supremacists, like unabashed white supremacists. I always wonder, do they ever think, oh, God, that's that's not good that mm -hmm. this is my team? Because when I tweet something, yeah. it's not a bunch of hateful assholes who are chiming in. It's Well, sometimes there are, but they oppose you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. they're not in agreement yes, with me. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think obviously the um, stoking the fear and the hatred and the rage that white people feel um, that that really works for Republicans right now. And so I, I think it's just a racism problem in this country and fear. Yeah. And fear of losing status. Yeah. And I, that that's just being exploited right now. And so it's be, been given oxygen like it's a legitimate thing. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the Democratic Party 
is more diverse and you see that in the people who support the party you also see that in the people that represent the party more so now than ever before right and i think that that is important but something that's strange that i don't understand about the republicans tactics here is that it's not gonna work in the long run not even the medium term it's not gonna work right the demographic shift that we're seeing is that we're gonna be a majority minority country is what they're calling it very very soon right which isn't a bad thing right we're all people. We're all, you know, we just have a different skin tone. Mm-hmm. We might eat different foods in our, you know, with our families, but come on. Mm-hmm. There's nothing scary about that. Unless you believe you've treated other people so poorly that they're going to they're, they're gonna revisit that upon you. Right. But I think that might be what it is. Well, you know, Louis C.K. has a bit, sorry. Louis C.K. has a bit that, you know, about a time machine. White people can't fuck with a, black people can't fuck with a time machine. But in white people, he goes, I could go back to any year, year two. I don't even know what's happening, but I could go back and they'd be like, oh, yes, sir. Here's it. We have a table waiting for you. He goes in the past, but in the future, he goes, he doesn't want to see what happens to white people in the future. They're going to hold us down and fuck us in the ass for a thousand years or something like that, he says. And that's if that's what they're worried about, because we've treated people of color and women and, and marginalized groups so poorly that they think they're <laughs> exact revenge. Yeah. I get that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and it's weird because like the Medicaid expansion passed in Idaho. No Democrats won in Idaho. (laughs) Yeah. But the Medicaid expansion passed. And so that's basically Obamacare, right? Yeah. But Obamacare without the name Obama in it. And it passed. So you have to wonder if they didn't do this whole stoking the the fear and the rage and the white identity politics, would they be able to run on policy alone? I'm not sure that they yeah. would. I'm not sure that, that the policy alone would be appealing to people. So they have to do something else yeah. in order to get to that power. Um, and, and the way that they're doing it now is by stoking that fear and that yeah. hatred. They definitely don't win in the marketplace of ideas. Most, most, most assuredly not. So thank you, Frank, for the email. We appreciate it. We have one voicemail, and then we're going to get to some follow-up. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning, Jesse. This is Slow Mike from Toronto. Just wanted to try and keep my comments briefer, so I thought maybe the voice memo was the way to go. Uh, Listened to you read my email on the podcast word for word with excitement and horror at the same time, because, good Lord, I do go on. Um, (laughs) Tended to agree with your comments and arguments with what I had to say there. Um, I'm not worried about being correct, so I just found it interesting to hear what you had to say. Uh, Real quickly, though, as far as the name-calling thing, and I know it's a minor thing, and I don't want to be the killjoy who says, you know, no, don't have any fun, Uh, but my problem with name-calling has always been it ends the discourse right there. Once I call you a fucking moron, that's where the argument goes to, because either A, you're going... No, I'm not. Or B, you are. And then we're no longer discussing what we were supposed to be discussing. So that's one of the reasons why I kind of, you know, when I hear the name calling, I just, you know, okay, what really is your specific complaint? (laughs) Expand on that and avoid just the easy, you know, he's adult, he's a moron, he's, you know, a crook. That dog is really yeah, I know. thirsty. Am I the only one who can't pay attention because that is the thirstiest dog in the history of dogs? <laughs> He's really treating himself. <laughs> I love the pause, though. That was great. <laughs> Whatever. Um, really enjoy the show, guys, and thrilled that you you know took the time to read what I had to say and respond to it. That was so cool. Um, so keep it up. And uh, Brittany is the best partner that you could possibly have, Jesse. So make sure you treat her well. Thank wow. you. Wow. He, uh, he button hooked that. Yeah. He faked us Love out. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Partner. <laughs> so you better treat me well, he says. So um, one awesome call. Yeah. Fantastic call because that is a thirsty fucking dog. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, one, I, I, I like slow mic here. One, he doesn't sound like a a native of Toronto Mm because he said Toronto. Maybe he's doing that for our benefit, mispronouncing the name of the city he lives. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, um, 
I I try to be a guy who prides himself on being okay with being wrong. So I, that's why we, one of the reasons why we don't we don't discourage pushback or dissent on the show at all. Um, and I, you know, I agree. I agree. Name Colin is kind of a conversation stopper. But I'm not necessarily when if someone calls in and they disagree, I'm like, hey, fuck you, idiot. I'm not doing that. I'm just generally in the air calling people fucking assholes and the president of the United States. I'm not trying to have a conversation with Trump. Go so ahead. not to. Uh, I I got silent after you criticized his accent because I thought accent or his lack of accent. He um, he moved to Canada. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I went to go fact check it really quick and looked at his previous email. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I was right, but I didn't want to mess it up, so I went to check first. And yeah, he he met a woman in that's Canada because right. the healthcare and all that good stuff. He said, yes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Yes, yes. That's okay. right. Yeah. So, well, thank you for shitting right in my mouth. Good times. Fact check. Um, fact check. Um, but insulting people. I, I think that I think that we we get it, and we I. Uh, <laughs> you for sure are not a, not a fan of it. There are times where it gets cringy for you. For sure. Um, but I, I also am not above it, though, is what I'm saying. Um, obviously, I mean, I finally admitted what I said to the men at the bar that day. So I'm, I'm certainly not above. They, they were, were they were making contact with women. They were denigrating women. Mm-hmm. They yeah, it was it was aggressive. It yeah. was not a good time. So but what I'm saying and is you were standing up for a friend. Yes. So I anyway, I didn't want to get all into this again. Uh, I didn't even want to get into the words, but here we are. Uh, too late. Yeah, but we 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 get it because it isn't productive. And if you think about a conversation that you try to have in person with somebody, if you start insulting them, it ends right there. Like Slow Mike said. Yeah. If you're and ha- it does. If, for you're, sure. if you're having a conversation on Facebook and you're trying to do a political debate and someone starts calling you a dumb bitch or an idiot, for example. Haven't experienced that personally, just using that right. as an example. Yeah, sure. <laughs> then That's an exact quote. Then you don't want to communicate with that person anymore. And so it, it totally makes sense. It also isn't very descriptive, which I think is what Slow Mike was getting at as well. And when you are on a show like this, you probably want to be more descriptive with people's behavior and explain your positions rather than just giving a one word insult. Although sometimes it just feels good. Yeah, I think that's the element for me. It's cathartic. It's fuck those guys. You know, it's sometimes the higher road isn't the the comfortable road. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think a lot of times the higher it's cozy road is down the here road. in the low ground. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times it's not the comfortable place, but it is the most productive place. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably primarily Slow Mike's argument. Yeah, it's hard to work. And I'm lazy, so good times. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's why we're both here. Yeah, yeah. No, perfect. Yeah, that works out great. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for the email and the voicemail. If you, too, would like to sound off, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Those are the same contacts that you should use for your Thanksgiving submissions. All right. You brought up an article the other day, Brittany, that was very alarming. Over the course of the last couple months, we've talked about the Catholic Church, the rampant sexual abuse of children, the systematic rape of children and then cover up for their their victimizers, their rapists. And it seems that it's continued and it is a problem right here in the Los Angeles area. Yeah, this was reporting from NPR, and according to this article, Catholic church leaders in L.A., Los Angeles, shuffled predator priests into non-English-speaking immigrant communities. And this was actually intentional. So one of the lawsuits um, involved a settlement, and it kind of forced local Catholic officials to turn over thousands of pages of personnel files on these accused priests. And these files showed that 
people who were higher up in the church were repeatedly sending these predator priests into communities where they believed people would be less likely to speak up. Because they're undocumented, they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the country, and they stay quiet. Right. And according to a victim's attorney in this case, he says, quote, blatant statements as to there is no need to take corrective action because folks were undocumented and won't report it. That's in some of these files. So directly written, send the priest here because they're not going to report it anyway because they're undocumented. Yeah. They believed the, that immigrant communities were the geographic solution to shuffling predator priests. The Archdiocese of Los Angeles sent Carlos Rodriguez into a treatment program for pedophile priests after he abused a child in South L.A. Then they brought him back to minister to Spanish speakers in the Office of Family Life. He put on that suit to uh, portray himself as a man of God, and he was an imposter. Manuel Barragan first met Rodriguez three decades ago. He was a fake dude trying to get into little boys' and little girls' pants, and that's what he did. Barragan, who's now 42, grew up in the farm worker community of Santa Paula, north of Los Angeles. His devout Catholic Mexican immigrant parents met Rodriguez through a marriage retreat program. Let me be 11 years old really quick. You know, there's trust here. The priest sexually molested Barragan for years. He self-medicated with drugs and alcohol for a decade. I would come into my parents' house and I would see pictures of this guy on the wall. He eventually did tell his parents about the abusive priest. They're put on a high pedestal. Like, this is a man of God who has blessed our family. I'm devastated. I'm like, don't you see what he did to us? The family reported the priest. Three years later, representatives from the L.A. Archdiocese knocked on Barragon's door. They checked him into substance abuse counseling, and he started therapy. This was 2002, and California had just removed the statute of limitations for child abuse victims. Barragon joined a lawsuit against the L.A. Archdiocese that eventually resulted in a $660 million settlement involving more than 500 abuse cases. Not many regions around the country have had that. Attorney Tony DeMarco says that settlement forced local Catholic officials to turn over thousands of pages of personnel files. They showed how higher-ups repeatedly sent predators into communities where they knew people were less likely to speak up blatant statements as to there is no need to take corrective action because folks who are undocumented won't report. That's in some of these files. There are dozens of examples of immigrant communities thrown under the bus, says Patrick Wall, a legal advocate who coined the term the geographic solution to describe the church's actions. This is a complete pattern. The country's largest Catholic archdiocese is more than three quarters Hispanic and largely immigrant. The Latino community has never really been able to come to grips with this. The Latino church was already in a really painful spot and needed the Catholic church with moral authority to continue to fight for our rights. Loyola Marymount University theologian Cecilia Gonzalez-Andreu says immigrant Catholics need the church to speak out on issues related to legal status, poverty, and health care. With this scandal, that voice now is completely gone. She says the turmoil continues because Catholic leaders have been managing the problem instead of addressing it head on. We need to deal with that proactively. The L.A. Archdiocese says it's changed its ways with zero tolerance abuse policies, employee training and victims assistance programs. But it was only through legal action that Manuel Barragan learned how church leaders facilitated his abuse. He says it'll take a statewide investigation by prosecutors to deliver justice to thousands more like him. Part of that process is accountability. How do you move on from this if nobody's taking responsibility? Right. And I think that the big thing there, too, is what was said about Catholic leaders have been managing the problem instead of addressing it head on. Yeah. But, I mean, what does that look like, addressing it head on, when you had... I mean, they use the phrase moral authority of the church when you had the people who were high up in the moral authority in the church saying, no, send these people here because these people won't report. Yeah. These people won't speak up. So send them here. What? I mean, this is again, I mean, how many times do we have to hear these stories? And they're everywhere. It's in every single state. It's in every single state, multiple countries that this is happening, that they, these settlements are being paid, that these predator yeah. priests, hundreds, thousands. $660 million settlement. 
660 million bucks. That's almost a billion dollars. So I want to know what happened to those higher ups. Where are they? Where do you think? If they're shuffling rapists, you think there's consequence for people who facilitate the rape, who cover up for the rape? Fuck no. Right. So of a, course not. A training is a training, a victim assistance right. training is going to help them. This isn't a customer service problem within the Catholic Church, everybody. This is the 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 rape and some would argue torture of children the most innocent humans among us perpetrated by an organization that is supposed to be is charged by their holy documents to be taking care of the most innocent among us well and what a what a horrific betrayal i mean already because of the abuse that's inflicted but also because this immigrant community relied on yeah. the church to be an advocate on behalf of them for their legal status for experiencing poverty for getting health care yeah for the, being a sanctuary yes yeah and this betrayal has to be so painful when what is it gonna take what in the fuck is it gonna take for people to wake up and walk away from the catholic church to turn their back on an organization that has facilitated systemic rape and torture of their children. Because let me tell you, if this was happening at any other, if the YMCA was known for raping kids and then covering up for that rape, the, the YMCA would no longer be a thing. Mm -hmm. This baffles me. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting. And I think about our friend of the show, Ryan Bell, yeah. and how for a long time he stayed in his church, of course, not not experiencing problems of this magnitude in his church, but um, of social justice concerns that he had of um, equality for women and, and other issues that he had in his church, and he thought he could change it from within. And so he stayed. And I've, I've seen him tweet on Twitter many times that that was a mistake. That, well, he's... That, yeah, that thinking that he could make that change from within, that that was a little too optimistic. He's too good a character to have stuck around, though, you know. And I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming there's many Catholics because it is hard, right? It's, it's a part of your identity. Yeah, sure. And so it becomes difficult to start making these choices. But I'm wondering for people who are in the church, what does that look like being a reformer within trying to reform the organization within. How do you, as a parishioner, um, who maybe doesn't have a lot of status and doesn't have a lot of access to the higher-ups, how can you get them to be accountable to you? I don't know how that works. Yeah, well, I I'm wondering... I'm wondering at what point is it too far gone? It's not like they wasted money... They built some buildings and wasted some money. Maybe they went out to some fancy dinners on the parishioner's dime. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the rape of children. Mm -hmm. This is a whole new level of corruption. This is this is this is organization ending. Ending. Because you can't say God's looking down. Jesus is approving of how this is being handled. At, at, at some point, you just got to wash your fucking hands of it and get the fuck out of there. Well, and I, I feel this feeling, even when I'm talking about it, that it is very controversial to be saying these things. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. Uh, you don't feel that? Because no one talks about this. It's still as though something that you can't talk about. And I don't know if it's just my own discomfort with being an atheist and having people know it and um, the stigma that is associated with that label Maybe so. and my identity and what the perception might be of my personal bias based on a criticism that I have of a, re a religious institution, which I feel is a very reasonable and rational criticism but i don't see a lot of religious people talking about the catholic church i don't see a lot of catholics talking about the catholic church yeah it's a problem and so that is something that concerns me where i'm happy to step back and not be vocal as vocal in this conversation but i want the the believers to kind of take the upper hand here the catholics to kind of come forward i've seen several i have many op-eds but 
I want to see more because that's going to be how the church changes. They don't care about me. Yeah, well, get your fucking house in order so other people don't have to do it. That's the thing. They don't care about me. Yeah. I'm not giving them money. They don't have to worry about me coming back on Sunday. That's right. I, I don't go, right? Yeah. They're worried about the people who give them money, who fund them. Listen, if this was just misappropriation of money or some other thing, I wouldn't I wouldn't talk. Who gives a fuck? We're talking about human beings. Their lives being ruined. This guy being driven to abuse alcohol and drugs to self-medicate, to cover and, and, and soothe or salve the pain that was created by a, an exalted member of the Catholic Church who was then covered up for. We're talking about people and their lives being destroyed. Thousands of people. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. Thank you for allowing us to have the tough conversations. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Matthew. Matthew. And Susan. Susan. I want to say, number one, thank you for your beautiful support, Susan and Matthew. But also, we sent a message out via Patreon to a handful of people who were supposed to get their stickers this month, but they don't have an address added to their account. So I just want to make sure if you believe that you should have already received a sticker, make sure that your address is in your Patreon account, because that is how I send out the stickers yeah. is by finding that address there. Also, when we were at Patreon, we learned that Patreon doesn't really have a system for alerting people when their cards are declined. You know, your credit card expiration date comes up and then your card no longer works. And some people may not be aware of that. So we sent a message out to everyone who was listed as declined just to kind of prompt you if you want to come back in. If you don't, no big deal at all. Yeah. But someone wrote us back and was like, I had no idea. I had no idea my car was declined. So thank you so much for letting me know. So... We sent that out and we're happy that that was useful to at least one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully there will be some sort of system that they can implement to, to help with that. But otherwise, we really appreciate you guys. And don't forget, you can also shop on Amazon as the holidays approach. Uh, dollamore.com slash Amazon. And we really appreciate your support, guys. Thank you so much. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So to follow up a little bit about this Matthew Whitaker guy, the guy who's the acting attorney general now of the United States in the wake of the firing of Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump, again, like he does with everything, is a liar. And he claimed on Fox News on October 11th, 2018, that he knows Matthew Whitaker. He knows him. He likes him. But then he also has claimed that he doesn't know. And uh, I think this might end up being a, a deal breaker for Donald Trump and Matt Whitaker. I think he's either going to have to recuse himself or he's going to have to go away entirely. Keeping him honest with the president's pick for acting attorney general. Two days ago, the president named Matt Whitaker, as you know, for that position after he fired Jeff Sessions. Today, after two days of stories about Matt Whitaker's past involvement in an apparently shady company and his numerous past comments about how to slow down or end the Mueller investigation, now the president is saying he doesn't even know Matt Whitaker, which is sort of surprising because previously he had said he did know him, and he said it on television. It was actually live. Many human beings with ears that worked actually heard it. <laughs> We're actually going to play it for you in a moment because it's been recorded. But first, just setting aside the logic of why the president would appoint someone he doesn't even allegedly know to a position that could have close oversight of the Mueller investigation, it's also just demonstrably false. Whitaker has been to the White House dozens of times, has met with the president, and they've spoken on the phone several times, according to CNN's reporting. And again, keep it honest, the president just a month ago admitted he knew Matt Whitaker. 
He said it on Fox News when asked when, about speculation that Whitaker would replace Sessions. I never talk about that, but I can tell you Matt Whitaker is a great guy. I mean, I know Matt Whitaker. Okay, so seemed pretty clear. I know Matt Whitaker. But since he was appointed acting attorney general, there's been widespread criticism of Whitaker's past comments against the Mueller investigation and calls for him to recuse himself. So here's what the president said today when asked about that. Well, Matt Whitaker, I don't know Matt Whitaker. Matt Whitaker worked for Jeff Sessions, and he was always extremely highly thought of, and he still is. But I didn't know Matt Whitaker. He worked for uh, Attorney General Sessions. He was very, very highly thought of and still is highly thought of. But this only comes up because anybody that works for me, they do a number on them. But Matt Whitaker is a very smart man. All right. So just let's review. All of a sudden, the president claims not to know his own choice for acting attorney general. And he didn't just say it once either. I don't know Matt Whitaker. I didn't know Matt Whitaker. I didn't speak to Matt Whitaker about it. I don't know Matt Whitaker. In all fairness to Matt Whitaker, who, again, I didn't know. Okay. Of course, the president knows Matt Whitaker. It stands to reason that the president knows Whitaker has spoken out against the Mueller investigation. The president watches TV. The president may not have known Whitaker's entire history. That would require a White House staff that actually researched him just a little bit. What does it tell you that Donald Trump is okay? The upside for Donald Trump is so great that it's okay for him to say, I don't know the guy at all. I don't know him. I don't know about this guy. I don't know this guy. Who is this guy? What is this guy? He's willing to take that posture about a man that he just appointed as acting attorney general of the United States. The upside must be so great that he's willing to look like an utter moron. Like he's just out of control and doesn't, he doesn't, uh, like there's no skin in the game. He's not taking his job seriously. You know what I mean? Well, I've seen a lot of people also trying to go back to the inclination to diagnose Trump, saying that he is demented and he has a lot going on and th- right. th- there's something wrong. But I think that that's trying to explain away just his nefarious behavior. This yeah. is someone who lies all the time. I mean, he we know how often he lies. Why do we need to try to find another explanation for why he's lying? He doesn't care. I mean, they put out a video that was doctored from the White House, knowing that people would figure out that it's doctored. Knowing who it came from, that it was from the the Paul Joseph Watson guy, who's Alex Jones's guy. And then you have Kellyanne Conway on with Chris Wallace today saying it wasn't doctored, it was sped up. It, <laughs> it wasn't edited, it was sped really? up. Yes. Did that happen? Yes, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> they don't care. You know what I mean? So Donald Trump, yeah. Donald Trump saying, I don't know Matt Whitaker, knowing that he's probably talked about knowing Matt Whitaker. I mean, he's done this with Putin. He knows he's on tape. He knows we have recordings. He doesn't care. He just knows his base doesn't care. Yes, exactly. And he knows he'll be able to distract when the questions come. He'll be able to tell everyone to sit down, shut up. You're a rude person. I'm talking. I'm the president. Be respectful. Yeah. That's the way that he continues to maintain control. You go run CNN and I'll run the country. All that shitty shit. That's how he he maintains control. Yeah. Well, the other part of this that I want to talk about. Well, one, this Matt Whitaker is a bad guy. He he has been. Um, we're going to get more into it as as the days go on and episodes go on. But he has been involved when he was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Iowa in what could be considered witch hunts, which are politically motivated prosecutions of Democrats of political opponents. Um that ended up being a two-year investigation with wiretaps and uh, confidential informants and all kinds of resources being poured into it for two years after he got an indictment, and then he got an indictment, and then uh, it goes to trial, and within 20 minutes, the jury acquits. There is no conviction. So he's sloppy. He is motivated by politics, most certainly. We've heard tape of him. And uh, this is why he's been put in this position. Also, he's been on the board of companies which are have gone down for scamming. Mm-hmm. 
Americans out of millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the typical kind of stuff that you would expect from... <laughs> from a Trump guy. From someone that loves Trump and from someone that Trump loves and... Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, uh, the, the other thing, we mentioned it briefly on, on last episode, that Judge Napolitano from Fox News is unconvinced of the legality of this appointment. He doesn't believe that you can just appoint anybody mm-hmm. to be the attorney general. And uh, listen to him, and then listen to the pushback he gets from the ding-dongs on Fox and Friends. All right, we've got a Fox News alert for you. Yesterday, Jeff Sessions essentially was fired. The president asked for his resignation. He tendered it. Judge Napolitano joins us. Judge, what do you think about the new guy? Okay, I want to make a couple of observations. The resignation letter was undated, which tells me it was signed a while ago. And this is not uncommon. Uh, uh, President Lyndon Johnson did this all the time to many of his cabinet members. Here's he knew it was coming. Right. I'm going to keep it in a drawer. When it's time for you to go, I'm going to publish the letter. <laughs> and they decided to publish it yesterday. Is Matt Whitaker professionally qualified, professionally, by personal experience, right. by education, to be the acting attorney general? Absolutely. He's a former uh, federal prosecutor. Yep. He ran the attorney general's uh, office. He's been involved in policymaking decisions. But... Is he legally qualified to be the acting attorney general? No. Very precise laws were written by Congress, which the president has sworn to uphold, right after the Watergate debacle. So it would be a very difficult route for the president to pick his own person to run the DOJ. You're you're saying that the guy the president has appointed is not qualified? Is not legally qualified. What does he need? I'll tell you. The president's got lawyers. They looked at that. There's only three ways a person can become Acting Attorney General. Okay. That's if is one, if you are the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, President signs an executive order and makes you acting. Two is if you are already in the DOJ and have a job that requires Senate confirmation and you have received confirmation. That is not the case with uh, with Matt Whitaker because he's the chief of staff. That does not require Senate confirmation. Three is a recess appointment, which is not relevant here because the Senate is not yeah. in recess. So with deference and respect to what the president is trying to do, he has every right to have whoever he wants run the Justice Department. He has chosen someone who does not qualify under the law to be the acting attorney general. So he's really not the acting attorney general. That's which is why he did not take an oath of office. They said said he already took an oath. He doesn't have to do it again. Don't you think that's a political now? Can he go on to? Could he go on to become the attorney general? Very good question, because if he is the acting attorney general, he is disqualified from becoming the attorney general. But you said he's don't, not really the acting. Correct. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to explain the logic behind this. These these laws were written in a spirit of compromise of Republicans versus Democrats after the demise of President Nixon. And we kept changing FBI directors. If you remember this era, you're huh? too young and kept changing attorneys general in Watergate era. And this is what they came up with. I got to think that a bunch of lawyers looked at this before they went ahead with this and pulled the trigger. I would hope so, but they didn't come up with the same conclusion. I did. Could they interpret the law differently? Maybe they. You know, there there is wiggle room uh, Mm -hmm. in there. They can interpret the law that Matt Whitaker was confirmed by the Senate when he was a U.S. attorney in Iowa ten years ago. But the statute's pretty clear. Presently occupies a job that requires Senate confirmation and received it. All right, uh, Judge. Thanks so much. Now that's. That's, you know, far right wing libertarian judge Napolitano on the payroll of Fox News saying that. Mm-hmm. Where are the Democrats? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are they not bringing this up? Which seems it seems like an ironclad case to me. Yeah. He's not a dummy. Mm-hmm. He's wrong, I think, about some stuff, but not about stuff like this. This is kind of cut and dry statutory language. Why is this not being made a topic? Yeah, well, I think I saw a little bit from Adam Schiff. He did an interview today, and the part of it that I saw, this wasn't part of the conversation. It was basically, we're going to be watching him, (laughs) and if anything nefarious happens here, we're watching, and it's going to be a problem. But it seems like this would be a good way to go. Right. That he hasn't been Senate confirmed, Matthew Whitaker, um, that that is a necessary thing to have happen because you have Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who would actually be the next in line for that. That's right. But he was just bypassed. 
And instead, the chief of staff, Matthew Whitaker, chief of staff for Jeff Sessions, was the one that was selected. And you have to wonder, with his 2016 column in USA Today that he would indict Hillary Clinton, and he disagreed with James Comey's position. Just nuttery. His CNN op-ed in 2017 about Mueller's red line would be investigating Donald Trump's personal finances. Right. All of this stuff. You Nonsense. Have, yeah, you have to wonder how, how much it played a role in Donald Trump's eyeing him well, and I, selecting him and wanting him yeah. uh, to be the one that, that goes in Jeff Sessions' place. We know, because we know Donald Trump and he watches a lot of TV, that that's how he discovered this guy. <laughs> that's how he knows about the opinions of Matt Whitaker. Mm. And that's why he found his TV darling, the guy who's now going to be the acting attorney general. Yeah. Well, I will say it's also important to know this guy's name, follow this story, make sure we're not losing focus, because this is really important. And I am happy that Adam Schiff and other Democrats are taking it seriously, are feeling that this is a very important thing to focus on and make sure that nothing happens here to interfere with Robert Mueller's investigation. Because this is the object that Donald Trump is trying to distract from. This is what he wants everybody to forget about while he's you know, revoking the hard pass of, of Jim Acosta and doing all of his shenanigans. Yeah. The, the problem with this is, I mean, look, it's great that we have uh, Democrats in the control of the House now, that they're going to be able to push back. Now, they can't stop confirmation hearings because that's not their job. That's the Senate. But they do have oversight. The Intelligence Committee is now in the hands of Adam Schiff. The judiciary is now in the hands of Jerry Nadler. There are several committees that have oversight over this process, and they're going to be calling witnesses. They're going to be having hearings. The problem is that Republicans, we really have nobody that we can rely upon. There's one person we used to be able to rely upon, and that's Lindsey Graham, even in a modicum. We had a slight area, just a a tiny amount of, 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 of trust could be placed in him to do the right thing. And now that's fucking gone. Listen to this. I loved the caption on this video, which was Lindsey Graham owns Lindsey Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Republican Senator Lindsey Graham does a lot of interviews, and that means he has to confront his own lengthy interview record. If Jeff Session is fired, there will be holy hell to pay. Uh, any effort to go after Mueller could be the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. Holy hell, the beginning of the end? But look at Lindsey Graham just last night on Fox News when confronted with that very clip. Given where we are now, what do you say now? So when was that? What July year? of 2017. <laughs> Things so, have changed. I think Mr. Whitaker was a good pick. I think he's going to be as fair as impartial as uh, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch were. <laughs> the bottom line is uh, this is um, hysteria more than it is anything else. Graham trying to laugh that off, but it's not funny to most people. And in terms of Graham's views on Trump, let's be clear. He has abandoned his own publicly stated repeated convictions in exchange for what looks like now a certain proximity to being with Trump. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. I think he's unfit for office. Endless attempt to label the guy as some kind of kook, uh, not fit to be president. I don't believe he's a Republican. His policies are really bad for the country. Number one, I agree with him mostly. He's a jackass. I like the president. I want to help him. Trump's foreign policy is a complete disaster. What President Trump has done is historic. He deserves the Nobel Peace Prize and then some. And then some. I want to be clear. There are many Americans who generally support Donald Trump, And there are plenty of reasons for them to feel that way and for all of us to try to debate politics civilly. But what we're seeing here is important because as Senator Lindsey Graham descends deeper into pure self-caricature of craven political hypocrisy, he has come to personify the hollowing out of a significant portion of the leadership of the Republican Party. He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot no i don't think he's a xenophobic race baiting religious bigot as president so it's pretty remarkable to hear him laugh 
about this. When he's, and, when he's caught red-handed. Yeah, this should be humiliating for someone. Yeah. And there should be political consequences for it. He should be shunned. <laughs> he's no longer considered a reasonable person. He's although a fucking joke. He lost that a while ago. We'll be fair and say that he hasn't been reasonable for quite some time. But yeah. he, he did attempt to be a Trump critic there for a bit. He did attempt to try to do that pushback against Donald Trump. And now... He's all in. He gave up and gave in. Yeah. And he even laughs off what he used to say. So this is all just a political performance about whatever is most politically expedient for Lindsey Graham. And he sees that what what Donald Trump is doing is working for a certain segment of the population. Lindsey Graham is ready to have that segment of the population love him, too. And he's going all in for it. And I think Lindsey Graham wants to be attorney general. That's Mm. really what he wants. Mm -hmm. He was a jag. He was a lawyer in in uh, the air force i mean that's i believe he thinks that uh, that's kind of the next rung for him mm-hmm. uh like the dream job like jeff sessions it was his dream job well that's even more disappointing that he would sell out because he wants to have a certain political position yeah for sure and get close to the president so we're witnessing there's no trust in in, in republicans holding him accountable um the bummer is is that donald trump is doing everything he can to distract and create a circus-like atmosphere. Listen to this as he derides a reporter for asking him whether or not he's going to have Whitaker kind of derail or blow up the Mueller investigation. The U.S. Yeah. Not Whitaker, it's up to him. Do you want him to bring in Robert Mueller? What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. And you're supposed to show him deference. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's the president. You've got you to show him respect. The way he treated Jim Acosta and all those reporters. April Ryan. Yamish uh, Alcender. Yeah, that was also Abby Phillip. We want to mention her name. She's a black woman. and Reporter for CNN. Right. And a lot of his animosity has been directed at women of color. Yeah, for in, sure. In the, in the press briefing room or in the press pool. So that is something that is very alarming because he is particularly hostile to black women. And obviously we know that Donald Trump has... Um, racist inclinations um he's a racist and i think that they're coming out yeah more obviously in recent days when he interacts with these reporters the, the weird thing about it is is that in the in the wake of all of this that we've talked about his treatment of all of these different reporters of color and jim acosta he said this he had the temerity again it's a fucking cartoon now the way that this is being dealt with, that nothing gets treated seriously because he does all of that, acts all of that way, and then has the gall to say that you must respect the White House and the presidency. I think Jim Ocasio is a very unprofessional man. I think He does this with everybody. He gets paid to do that. You know, he gets paid to burst in. He's a very unprofessional guy. Whether it was me or Ronald Reagan or anybody else, he would have done the same thing. Uh, I, look... I don't think he's a smart person, but he's got a loud voice. Is and here, wait, wait, David, do you mind if I answer the question? And as far as I'm concerned, I haven't made that decision, but it could be others also. When you're in the White House, this is a very sacred place to me. This is a very special place. You have to treat the White House with respect. You have to treat the presidency re- with respect. If you've ever seen him dealing with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, it's a disgrace. And he does it for, you know, the reason. The same thing with April Ryan. I watch her get up. I mean, you talk about somebody that's a loser. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. She gets publicity and then she gets a pay raise or she gets a contract with, I think, CNN. But she's very uh, nasty and she shouldn't be. She shouldn't be. You've got to treat the White House and the office of the presidency with respect. Is he fucking kidding? Or as Brittany would say, is he is he fucking listening to himself yeah, right now? 
<laughs> Seriously. Um, I mean, talk about projection 101, calling Jim Acosta unprofessional, not smart, just has a loud voice. He's talking about himself. Yes, but also something that is terrifying here is that he's putting everyone on notice. He threatened other journalists. That basically, if you don't behave the way that we want you to behave, and we haven't defined that very clearly. <laughs> so yeah, right. If, if you're not behaving the way we want you to behave, then you're next. Yeah. And if we need to be treated with respect. And respect means not asking difficult questions. Yeah. Not asking questions that he doesn't like. He wants... What they have in dictatorships where the questions are pre-approved yeah. by Vladimir Putin. While Putin gives the questions. Yeah. That's what he wants. He wants to give the questions. Who? Who? Oh, seriously, who thinks that Donald Trump respects the White House or the presidency? Mm-hmm. Does anyone really think that he respects it? That he treats it? Look, George W. Bush wouldn't take his jacket off in the Oval Office because he thought that it denigrated the space he was in. That was something that, that his father passed on to him, George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Now, Bush was a fuck-up as a president, but every man respected the office that they that they held. There were some who had gotten some problems, obviously. Presidents are, are human. But no one has denigrated the office of the presidency like Donald Trump. We are in new territory in that regard. As always, we're going to continue to follow this. And as always, we'd love to have your feedback. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It looks like you have something else to say, Brittany Page. I do. Uh, happy Veterans Day, ah, sir. Why, thank you very much. That's all that I had to say. That is all. <laughs> that is a very lackluster response. Well, we didn't that even I got get into you. all of that, that he's in France and didn't want to get his little hair wet. Yeah. Well, you have a video about that tomorrow. I am doing a video about it tomorrow. Yes. So uh, check that out on mm. the YouTube. Oh. When you, when you listen to this, you can flip over to the YouTubes and see my stupid face talking about Donald Trump and calling him many creative names. Interesting. Milk Sop. Ooh, little, spoiler alert. A little, little treat. Spoiler alert. A little hinty to, hinty poo. Mm. Yeah. Again, we love you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for subscribing to the show. We would love to have you in the Patreon family. Go to teamdollamore.com. And again, we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Major announcement, everybody. (laughs) Thanksgiving's fucking canceled.